Thank you for joining me on this wonderful journey of reading A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Today, I'm hoping we are going to be able to get in two chapters, four and five. So let's get rolling. Chapter four. After she had seen Papa off, Francie went up to see what kind of a costume Floss Gladys had for the dance that night. Flossie supported her mother and brother by working as a turner in a kid glove factory. The gloves were stitched on the wrong side, and it was her job to turn them right side out. Often, she brought work home to do at night. They needed every cent they could get on account of her brother not being able to work. He had consumption. Francie had been told that Henny Gaddis was dying, but she didn't believe it. He didn't look it. In fact, he looked wonderful. He had clear skin with a beautiful pink color in his cheeks. His eyes were large and dark and burned steadily like a lamp protected from the wind. But he knew. He was 19, an avid for life, and he couldn't understand why he was doomed. Miss Gaddis was glad to see Francie. Company took Henny's thoughts off himself. Henny, here's Francie, she called out cheerfully. Hello, Francie. Hello, Henny. Don't you think Henny's looking good, Francie? Tell him he's looking good. You're looking good, Henny. Henny addressed an unseen companion. She tells a dying man that he's looking good. I mean it. No, you don't. You're just saying that. How you talk, Henny. Look at me. Look how skinny I am. Now, I never think about dying. You won't die, Francie. You were born to lick this rotten life. Still and all, I wish I had nice red cheeks like you. No, you don't. Not if you knew where they came from. Henny, you should sit on the roof more said his mother. She tells a dying man he should sit on the roof, reported Henny to his invisible companion. Fresh air is what you need and sunshine. Leave me alone, Mama, for your own good. Mama, Mama, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Suddenly he put his head down on his arms and pulled tormented, coughing sobs out of his body. Flossie and her mother looked at each other and silently agreed to let him alone. They left him coughing and sobbing in the kitchen and went into the front room to show Francie the costumes. Flossie did three things each week. She worked on the gloves, she worked on her costumes, and she worked on Frank. She went to a masquerade ball every Saturday night wearing a different costume each time. The costumes were especially designed to hide her disfigured right arm. As a child, she had fallen into a wash boiler of scalding hot water, carelessly left standing on the kitchen floor. Her right arm had been horribly burned, and she grew up with its skin withered and purple. She always wore long sleeves. Since it was essential that a masquerade costume be docolleté, she had devised a backless costume 
the front cut to display her overfull bust and with one long sleeve to cover that right arm. The judges thought that the one flowing sleeve symbolized something. Invariably, she won first prize. Flossie got into the costume she was going to wear that night. It resembled the popular conception of what a Klondike, Klondike dance hall girl wore. It was made of a purple satin sheath with layers of cerise, cerise, tarlatan underskirts. There was a black sequin butterfly stitched over the place where her left breast came to a blunt point. The one sleeve was made of pea green chiffon. Francie admired the costume. Flossie's mother threw open the closet door and Francie looked at the row of brilliantly colored garments. Flossie had six sheaths of various colors and the same number of tarlatan underskirts and at least 20 chiffon sleeves of every color that a person could imagine. Each week, Flossie switched the combinations to make a new costume. Next week, the cerise underskirt might froth out from beneath a sky blue sheath with one black chiffon sleeve, and so on. There were two dozen tightly rolled, never used silk umbrellas in that closet, prizes she had won. Flossie collected them for display the way an athlete collects cups. Francie felt happy looking at all the umbrellas. Poor people have a great passion for large quantities of things. While Francie was admiring the costumes, she began to grow uneasy. While looking at the brilliant, frothing colors, cerise, orange, bright blue, red, and yellow, she had a feeling that something was stealthily concealed behind those costumes. It was something wrapped in a long, somber cloak with a grinning skull and bones for hands, and it was hiding behind these brilliant colors, waiting for Henny. Chapter 5 Mama came home at 6 with Aunt Sissy. Francie was very glad to see Sissy. She was her favorite aunt. Francie loved her and was fascinated by her. So far, Sissy had led a very exciting life. She was 35 now, had been married three times, and had given birth to 10 children, all of whom had died soon after being born. Sissy often said that Francie was all of her 10 children. Sissy worked in a rubber factory and was very wild as far as men were concerned. She had roving black eyes, black curling hair, and a high clear color. She liked to wear a cherry-colored bow in her hair. Mama was wearing her jade green hat, which made her skin look like cream off the top of the bottle. The roughness of her pretty hands was hidden by a pair of white cotton gloves. She and Sissy came in talking excitedly and laughing as they recalled to each other the jokes they had heard at the show. Sissy brought Francie a present, a corncob pipe that you blew into and a rubber hen popped out, popped up and swelled over the pipe bowl. The pipe came from Sissy's factory. 
The factory made a few rubber toys as a blind. It made its big profits from other rubber articles, which were bought in whispers. <laughs> Francie hoped that Sissy would stay for supper. When Sissy was around, everything was gay and glamorous. Francie felt that Sissy understood how it was with little girls. Other people treated children like lovable but necessary evils. Sissy treated them like important human beings. And although Mama urged her, Sissy wouldn't stay. She had to go home, she said, and see if her husband still loved her. This made Mama laugh. Francie laughed too, although she didn't understand what Sissy meant. Sissy left after promising that she would come back on the first of the month with the magazines. Sissy's current husband worked for a pulp magazine house. Each month he received copies of all their publications. Love stories, Wild West stories, detective stories, supernatural stories, and whatnot. They had shiny, colorful covers, and he received them from the stockroom, tied up in a length of nice yellow twine. Sissy brought them over to Francie just as they came. Francie read them all avidly, then sold them at half price to the neighborhood stationery store and put the money in Mama's tin can bank. After Sissy left, Francie told Mama about the old man at Losher's with the obscene feet. Nonsense, said Mama. Old age isn't such a tragedy. If he was the only old man in the world, yes, but he has other old men to keep him company. Old people are not unhappy. They don't long for the things we want. They just want to be warm and have soft food to eat and remember things with each other. Stop being so foolish. If there's one thing certain, it's that we all have to get old someday. So get used to the idea as quickly as you can. Francie knew that Mama was right, still. She was glad when Mama spoke of something else. She and Mama planned what meals they'd make from the stale bread in the week to come. The Nolans practically lived on that stale bread and what amazing things Katie could make from it. She'd take a loaf of stale bread, pour boiling water over it, work it up into a paste, flavor it with salt, pepper, thyme, minced onion, and an egg, if eggs were cheap, and bake it in the oven. When it was good and brown, she made a sauce from half a cup of ketchup, two cups of boiling water, seasoning, a dash of strong coffee, thickened it with flour, and poured it over the baked stuff. It was good, hot, tasty, and staying. What was left over was sliced thin the next day and fried in hot bacon fat. Mama made a very fine bread pudding from slices of stale bread, sugar, cinnamon, and a penny apple sliced thin. When this was baked brown, sugar was melted and poured over the top. Sometimes she made what she had named Weg Gushinishin? which laboriously translated means something made with bread bits that usually would be thrown away. Bits of bread were dipped into a batter made from flour, water, salt, and an egg, and then fried in deep, hot fat. While they were frying, Francie ran down to the candy store and bought a penny's worth of brown rock candy. This was crushed with a rolling pin and sprinkled on top of the fried bits just before eating. The crystals didn't quite melt, and that made it wonderful. 
Saturday supper was a red letter meal. The Nolans had fried meat. A loaf of stale bread was made into pulp with hot water and mixed with a dime's worth of chopped meat, into which an onion had been cleavered. Salt and a penny's worth of minced parsley were added for flavor. This was made into little balls, fried, and served with hot ketchup. These meatballs had a name, Frisadellen, which was a great joke with Francie and Neely. They lived mostly on these things made from stale bread and condensed milk and coffee, onions, potatoes, and always the pennies worth of something bought at the last minute added for Philip. Once in a while, they had a banana, but Francie always longed for oranges and pineapple and especially tangerines, which she got only at Christmas. Sometimes when she had a spare penny, she bought broken crackers. The grocery man would make a toot, which was a poke made of a bit of twisted paper and fill it with bits of sweet crackers that had been broken in the box and could no longer be sold as whole crackers. Mama's rule was, don't buy candy or cake if you have a penny, buy an apple. But what was an apple? Francie found that a raw potato tasted just as good and this she could have for free. There were times though, especially towards the end of a long, cold, dark winter, when no matter how hungry Francie was, nothing tasted good. That was big pickle time. She'd take a penny and go down to a store on Moore Street that had nothing in it but fat Jew pickles floating around in a heavy spiced brine. A patriarch with a long white beard, black skull cap, and toothless gums presided over the vats with a big forked wooden stick. Francie ordered the same as the other kids did. Give me a penny sheeny pickle. The Hebrew looked at the Irish child with his fierce red-rimmed eyes, small, tortured, and fiery. Goyam, goyam, he spat at her, hating the word sheeny. Francie meant no harm. She didn't know what the word meant, really. It was a term applied to something alien, yet beloved. The Jew, of course, did not know this. Francie had been told that he had one vat from which he sold only to Gentiles. It was said that he spat or did worse in this vat once a day. That was his revenge. But this was never proven against the poor old Jew, and Francie, for one, did not believe it. As he stirred with his stick, muttering curses into his stained white beard, he was thrown into a hysterical passion by Francie asking for a pickle from the bottom of the vat. This brought on eye rollings and clutchings of the beard. Eventually, a fine fat pickle, greenish yellow and hard at the ends, was fished out and laid on a scrap of brown paper. Still cursing, the Jew received her penny in his vinegar-scarred palm and retired to the rear of his store where his temper cooled as he sat nodding in his beard, dreaming of old days in the old country. The pickle lasted all day. Francie sucked and nibbled on it. She didn't exactly eat it. She just had it. When they had just bread and potatoes too many times at home, Francie's thoughts went to dripping sour pickles. 
She didn't know why, but after a day of the pickle, the bread and potatoes tasted good again. Yes, pickle day was something to look forward to.